Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Last night, I was at a dinner with some friends, Matt, including a young woman who just graduated from nursing school. She's going to start her first full-time job at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is a great, great hospital. And it just she was so enthusiastic and so passionate and committed. It just made me feel good because you think about the folks that have been on our front lines uh, during this pandemic um, and just the stress they've been put under. And you just wonder, you know, how they do it. Um, that's why I like to talk to folks that are really uh, touched, uh, you know, really tapped into that part of the healthcare system. Janet Elkin, president and chief executive officer of Icon Medical Network, joins us. Icon Medical, founded in 2010, places physicians and practitioners on assignment in hospitals and healthcare facilities in the U.S., so she really knows uh, what's going on in the front lines. Janet, thanks so much for joining us here. Again, it seems like in parts of this country and in par- and other parts around the world, we're getting another wave of COVID um, uh, cases here. What's it like on the front lines? It's still extraordinarily busy, as you can imagine. In addition to that, though, given that we're seeing requirements for the vaccine really go up, as you would imagine that they would, we do have to stop this at some point. But what's happening now is it's getting harder to place nurses who won't get the vaccine. So it's kind of causing an interesting time right now in terms of staffing these facilities. Well, I mean, do you want to place a nurse who won't get the vaccine? Do I really want a medical professional who uh, is that obtuse working on me? I don't think so. Oh, given that my dad died early from COVID, um, even if he hadn't, yeah, you really don't. So what's happening now is that they're gravitating nurses toward those nurses towards facilities. And also there are a few physicians out there who won't get vaccinated, but it's becoming more difficult for them. And in a way, although that's hard for facilities, it also means that hopefully we will get more people vaccinated and be able to affect better patient care. 
Janet, you know, you know, our views here in New York City are obviously skewed for much parts of for many parts of the country. Talk to us about healthcare, you know, uh, system and and staffing in more rural parts of uh, America. I know that was a challenge even before the, the the pandemic. What's it like now? It continues to be. I mean, you've got if you think about it, not only. COVID and what that's caused in terms of needing more practitioners, the fact that they didn't have enough to begin with in the rural areas. And then on top of that, as fallout from COVID, and I think how it made people rethink things, the great resignation. Yes, we see it in terms of nurses, physicians resigning, but some things you may not think about are even the recruiters who work for healthcare facilities to place more permanent employees, they're also moving on. So, Janet, where are we in terms of the pipeline? Again, last night I had dinner with a young woman who just graduated nursing school. Where are we in terms of putting out doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, things like that? Is How's the pipeline? I mean, the pipeline's obviously not great. It takes quite a while to be able to get your degree. Of course, physicians the most, right? Um, CRNAs, which are advanced practice nurses who go on for additional training. But even for RNs, I mean, it's, they can't get them out fast enough. Now, the person you had dinner with is going to CHOP, which uh, Children's Hospital in Philly is one of the most desirable ones. But think about the hospitals that don't have that kind of reputation. It's getting extraordinarily difficult to be able to, um, to place enough practitioners. I wonder what your take is on the Build Back Better bill. And not because I want you to take a political stance. In fact, I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does seem that it's extraordinarily difficult in America, especially compared to other countries, for, um, for mothers to go to work, for mothers to get an education and to go to work, compared to, you know, uh, Germany, where I spend most of my time. Because childcare is um, expensive and it's an arduous uh, process for a lot of people to, to feed their kids. I mean, does this going to help? Hopefully it will. And, you know, you bring up an excellent point. It is difficult. You can't do it all at the same time. This is why we're seeing for physicians such an uptick in them wanting to do telehealth because they don't have for these travelers. They don't have to travel to another location. They can do it from home, and that's making a big difference. But, of course, those things in healthcare can't be done in terms of telehealth. But we, if we don't do something, it's only going to get that much worse. All right, Janet, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Janet Elkin, President and Chief Executive Officer of Icon Medical Network. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. One of the um, uh, analysts that we have on a lot, Dan Ives, I think he's one of the most uh, listened to analysts on Wall Street when it comes to the tech area. Yeah. And he is, to be fair, bullish on every company that he covers. He has an outperform on like 30 different companies. And he's a Penn State Nittany, Nittany Lion. Just exactly. Gonna just going to throw it um, out. He said, tweeted today, we believe there's $5 trillion of EV auto market 
uh, up for grabs, with Tesla likely to own $2.5 trillion of this pie. We estimate China is worth $400 per share of the Tesla story for 2022, raising our price target from 1100 to 1400 with our bull case of 1800 So he's a big believer yep. here. He's been right. Um, we have another uh, Tesla fan, at least in terms of the car, uh, Matt Winkler, our Bloomberg uh, News Editor-in-Chief Emeritus, and also the author of a piece on Rivian. So I didn't realize you owned a Tesla car as well, Matt. We talked about this on TV a couple of days ago. Last I heard you were in a Toyota Avalon. What happened? Uh, 2014, to be precise. <laughs> uh, we acquired a uh, Model S, and we're happily uh, driving it to this day. Uh, so good as new. You loved, I know you loved the Avalon. I'll never forget when you, when you told me about that. You had a lot of enthusiasm for it. In terms of what we see here at Rivian, it is, if you didn't know the Tesla story, it would be mind-blowing. The fact that uh, electric car maker, truck maker, can come out and get $120 billion market cap, um, even though they've only sold probably at this point three or 400 uh, vehicles on the road, they're bigger than GM by... Uh, almost 35% right now. Uh, how is it possible? So what gets every investor excited, Matt and Paul, I think you agree, is growth. Uh, that is always what brings the market to its highest levels. And Tesla, for example, uh, since it went public in 2010, has seen 400 times the growth of the average for the automotive industry over a 10-year period, which is unprecedented. And that growth has enabled Tesla, as you now know, um, to make a profit um, and to get to a point where even the doubters are now acknowledging that electric vehicles are for real, they are the future, and Tesla did that. So it set the stage for Rivian which is going in a somewhat different direction because its focus is on trucks and SUV, but more particularly vans, commercial um, traffic. Uh, Jeff Bezos, who needs no introduction, <laughs> uh, and his company Amazon already ordered 100,000 of these Rivian uh, vans, which haven't been produced yet. But that gives you some idea of the anticipation of where this market is going. And the stock market is always about the future. It's not about the past. It's not about the rear view mirror. So this explains why Rivian, uh, as of this moment, is number five in terms of market valuation. Uh, among the top 10 automakers having sold fewer than 50 vehicles. It's crazy. And uh, Matt, you're out uh, with a column on all of this, talking about the EV market and the valuations. Uh, and along with your colleagues, Shinpei and Jennifer Liu, really some great data as always. The, number, the, the line that kind of stuck out to me, Matt, is that, you know the market value of the top 10 automakers is more than two-thirds electric, a reality considered improbable, if not impossible, just a year ago. And I agree with you 100%. I, that shocked me. I mean... Does that suggest that the traditional automakers, they, they've just missed it, or can they catch up, do you think? Well, they will have to catch up, because uh, probably by 2040, the internal combustion engine will be a museum piece. Oh, boy. And uh, so uh, that's not uh, a secret <laughs> at right. this point. And so anyway, the... Uh, 
the rest of the industry uh, gets to that point uh, is going to be the story. And so they're going to do it all kinds of ways. But for sure, the EV makers can do only one thing, which is make electric vehicles. Yep. The rest of the industry has a much messier, more difficult, challenging task ahead. I've erected a museum to the internal combustion engine at my house. Yeah, good. Increasingly, I feel guiltier and guiltier about driving these uh, cars, I will admit, because they're such huge emitters globally, right? Internal combustion engines really contributing to um, greenhouse gas emissions uh, buildup and climate, climate change. Do you think we're going to need, continue to need government incentives, Matt, for electric cars and investment in infrastructure from the government in order to make a change, to make that switch bigger? Here's the best answer to that question, Matt. California is the best performing economy uh, in the United States. Subject of another column you had recently. And it's <laughs> number five in the world. Yep. If it were a country, it's number five in the world. California is the place, more so than any other state, where people's preferences and government policy converge. They converge. Uh, they're not uh, at odds with each other. And that's why there are more EVs in California than anywhere else uh, in the U.S. And where you could easily see, I mean... Uh, the growth of EVs uh, accelerating. And the fact that Rivian is uh, an Irvine, California-based yep. company. Tesla, of course, started in uh, California and Palo Alto, even though it's moving its headquarters to Texas. The place where Tesla makes its vehicles is still uh, Fremont. So yep. that's not going to change. If anything, the, the production's going to go up. So the answer to your question is yes. Um, <laughs> This just only accelerates. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Matt Winkler, Editor-in-Chief Emeritus, founder of Bloomberg News. He sometimes he says- acceleration, have you driven an electric car? I've not. Oh, my I, God. Are you serious? I've not. You have to try it. All right. I, got to, I think right. that makes a convert right. out of a lot of people when you experience the all instant All right. I tour. think I might be in the market. We'll see. Red and green on the screen, as our good friend Tom Keen likes to say. Let's see where the action is with the small cap stocks. We do that uh, every day at this time with Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg Markets reporter. Yeah. Cross asset reporter. Cross asset. Markets correspondent, actually, but thanks. <laughs> the Russell 2000 down 0.4% on the day. Risk-off mood across the markets. The Russell 2000, no different. You Under the hood, though, you have some deal news. Simmons First National has agreed to acquire Spirit of Texas Bank shares in a cash and stock deal valued at about $581 million. Spirit of Texas Bank shares, the ticker is STXB. Shares are up 8%. Um, you also have Simmons First National Ticker SFNC shares are down 6%. To the downside, I'm sad to say the other stories are all downside stories. Ananta Pharmaceuticals down 11%. The ticker is ENTA. After discontinuing development of its oral hepatitis B drug based on emerging safety concerns, you also have Bell Ring, ticker BRBR, down 8%. Maker of nutrition supplements posting fiscal fourth quarter revenue that fell short of consensus estimates. And lastly, Wrecker Systems uh, down 6%, ticker REK. KR, an AI technology company that is also the worst performer in the Russell 2000 index, missing three uh, third quarter, excuse me, consensus estimates on both the top and bottom lines and saying revenue will fall in the coming quarters. 
Bloomberg. Now, what, what's the exact title here? I want to get this right. Markets Correspondent for Bloomberg, Bloomberg TV and Radio. Have you oh, thought about big. a different title? That doesn't <laughs> sound as interesting as I think well, it could. Well, see, I was already a markets reporter. What's the difference between a reporter and a correspondent? I don't know. It's just a title upgrade. <laughs> title upgrade. It's, it's a markets reporter. First I did it on print. Now I'm doing it on TV and radio. So, All right. Are we going to go with that, Matt? I think editor at large sounds good. Oh, that's cool. And Critty is a triple threat because she writes for BN. Yep. She's on TV and she's on radio. Actually, a quadruple threat because she does quick take as well. Yep. And she probably does some social media thing that I don't even know about. I know. You well, Matt ask. doesn't follow me on Twitter, so you wouldn't know. Whoa. I, I, this hello? is a very public call out. <laughs> I fall out. I follow mostly people who drive race cars or ride motorcycles. So basically, to get Matt to follow me, I have to go get a car and drive it around. I think so. <laughs> and win, and win a Grand Prix. And win a Grand Prix. All right, Grady, thanks so much for joining us. We always love getting your thoughts there on the market. Avery Sheffield joins us now. Avery is managing director and senior portfolio of Long Short equity uh, head fund strategy at Rockefeller Asset Management. Avery, we just got through great, great third quarter earnings. I thought I'd see more, hear more concern in guidance as it relates to supply chains, global supply chains. You know, they called it out, but we're still seeing some pretty good guidance there. What are your thoughts? Yes. I mean, you know, as, as, this, as the supply chain concerns um, were really in focus uh, kind of late August, kind of um, beginning with one of the major global footwears uh, announcements and then through September, you know, my instinct was that this was kind of a, a, a buy the dip opportunity because um, for two key reasons, like one is um, that it, when you we've seen when you have supply chain dynamics um, issues, uh, it leads to less inventory and less inventory means, you know, less supply and, 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 and that match with demand allows for pricing power. But from a fundamental perspective on supply chain, you know, there there are a few companies that are heavily have been heavily reliant on. Um, and this is in the apparel retail sector um, that have been heavily reliant on regions that have had significant shutdowns, and they are they are absolutely experiencing um, less supply. But many many uh, you know apparel and accessories manufacturers have distributed supply chains around the world, and it looked like they were going to be able to manage through this. You know, some incremental freight and shipping costs. Um, shifting around, you know, which inventories they were going to hold. But it started to become evident, I think, by October that many of the companies were going to get through this um, relatively unscathed. And that's certainly what we've seen in the results. I have got to ask, you have a degree in neuroscience um, from yeah. Pomona. What, first of all, what is that? And is that like science of the brain, I think? And what and what does that, uh, what, what kind of edge does that give you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> So yes, I am a neuroscience major, and that is a science of the brain, and it includes um, hard sciences as well as psychology. And look, I, I studied it because I find I find how I find science and how the human brain works to be fascinating. From a training perspective, this would be speaking to anyone else looking to figure out what to study in college, certainly to become an investor or anything else. Um, something like neuroscience gives you just a very strong foundation in science, in the analytics, in the math. Um, asking questions, posing hypotheses, really trying to figure out um, the answers to, to open-ended questions. So that's, I think, good training well, for anyone. And then the psychology, of, of course, is what, what really plays in every day. And behavioral finance is something that I find absolutely fa financing and uh, fascinating yep. and, um, and focus on kind of on a daily basis of how that's playing into my investment decisions and those of others. And you, you went from there to Wharton. So uh, you, you clearly know what you're talking about when it comes to business as well. What do you think about this renewed COVID explosion in Austria 
and Germany. Um, we're seeing lockdowns. We're seeing mandated vaccines. Just when we thought it was kind of all over. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the nature of viruses, they keep coming around, right? So, um, but the question is how severe are they when, when they when, when they come around? And we still seeing hospitalization rates low. I mean, there are certain areas, right, where there's a lot of unvaccinated people that you're seeing um, in Austria and a few other places that are um, uh, that are causing, you know, some concern and, and leading to these lockdowns. But I think we're really the tail end of it. I mean, you, I mean, look, I think we're going to see small, small breakouts of COVID for a long time. I mean, this virus is likely, you know, to mutate. But as long as we, we've seen in Israel, um, getting those booster shots really works. And I think these vaccine mandates are really the answer. I mean, a lot of the, the lockdowns we've seen, or they're not really lockdowns, but kind of um, slowing activity, um, is, has been targeted uh, to the unvaccinated in many yep. countries. And moving towards these mandatory vaccinations, I think, is really the answer. Yep. Oh, I am vaxxed and boosted. It's so all set to go. Avery Sheffield, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager for Long Short Equity Head Fund Strategy at Rockefeller Asset Management. Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. I want to get over right now to Jonathan Waite. He joins a senior research analyst at Frost Investment Advisors. And before we get into the meat of this uh, interview, I got to ask you about a piece I saw in your bio. It says um, current CFA, which I respect greatly, and former CPA for 20 plus years. I thought being a CPA was like being a Marine. Aren't you like always a <laughs> CPA once you were a CPA? No, I kind of kind of leave that in the background, you know, because everyone wants you to you know, ask an accounting or tax question to you. So I, I, I leave that in the background. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Jonathan, um, we've just come through some really good third quarter earnings. Um, I think for a lot of people that gave I mean, if you just look at the market reaction, that's kind of what the market needed for this next leg. What's your earnings outlook? Do you feel like this market's expensive, or did the earnings story kind of come through on that old P.E. analysis? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a mixed question, right? I mean, because the valuation here is a little a little pricey. But on the backdrop of this, uh, earnings look great. The economic outlook looks great. Um, the When you think about the consumer being two-thirds of GDP, in great shape. Um, under-levered on their balance sheet, ability to spend more, the intentions to spend over the next 12 months are at like an all-time high. And then you look at uh, business spending, you know, 15 20% of the economy and, and CapEx intentions are high, cash on balance sheet is very high. So we're cautiously optimistic as we roll through the fourth quarter into 2022 with the question being, you know, what happens with COVID and we're getting a fresh yeah. out of that today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I woke up uh, this morning, uh, perused the markets around three, and then uh, started listening to um, 
Blues Traveler record, you know, the one with yeah. Dance With Me, Felicia. I love that uh, that record. <laughs> and and I looked back, and all of a sudden, I saw the dollar index was shooting up, and the yen was gaining a lot of strength, and there was a bid in bonds, and I thought, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this has got to be the COVID numbers, and indeed it was. Uh, if that turns into a real problem for the global economy, aren't stocks priced for, for perfection? Well, I think at a certain point you just you're, we're going to need to have to look through COVID, you know, because it's it's not going to be with us forever. Uh, we're eventually going to roll through this. We, like you said, we have the Pfizer pill that's out there. Um, I, you know, you'd think that that would give you some reassurance that we're going to have some return to normalcy soon. So, all right, so Jonathan, what are the areas that you guys are, are doing work in right now? I know there's a couple of camps out there. I'm sticking with the you know the big growth stocks that have been so good to me for so long and the other camps say, no, I'm swinging for the cyclical trade here, the reopening trade. And um, where do you guys think about opportunity? Um, well, see, we're, you know, broad investors. We you know, have value strategies and growth strategies. So, uh, uh, you know, on these, when we look through 2022, I think there is the thought that we could see a little bit of a cyclical bump, at least in the first half of the year on that reopening trade. So, yeah, we think there is a little bit of legs left in that reopening trade, especially travel names that are getting clocked today. Uh, we think that they should see some improvement as 2022 rolls through. But uh, also on the growth side, it's, I mean, it's, again, you still have valuation to deal with. You have the retail investor in there that's just crowding into these momentum names. But otherwise, we think that the tech secular tailwinds are here to stay, and we'll see a continuation of that through the next few years. Yeah, the the airlines got have gotten battered again today. I think Ryanair is down 10 sessions mm -hmm. In a row, and I was looking at um, Ryanair, IAG, and Lufthansa today. Ryanair, over the last five years, is the only one that's given you any kind of gains, and that's only ten percent. Lufthansa and uh, and IAG are both down, I think, six and nine percent per year, respectively, over the last five years. I you, you don't really want to invest in an airline stock, do you? Well, and they've got the double whammy of, of, of energy prices moving against them. Right? And labor, so, labor costs. And labor, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's going to just be a, a huge disruption this upcoming holiday season. So, you know, I've got a, a daughter coming home from college. I hope she makes it for the holidays. So. I hope she does, too. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Jonathan Waite, Senior Research Analyst, Frost Investment Advisors. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? 
listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.